Welcome to Harrison Church. Thanks for joining us this week. This week, Pastor Shane delivers a message that should encourage us to live out our Christian beliefs in the light, openly in the world, in order to bring those in the dark to the love of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message. All right, let's, let's hear some good news. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. That's going to become important. He came to Jesus by night. Do you see that by night? That too is going to be important. And he said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now, that word above there, some of you may know it as born again. The Greek word there can be translated either as above or again. You choose. This translator, the NRSV, says it's from above. But Nicodemus said to him, How can anybody be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Now what do you think that might be referring to, born of water and the Spirit? Baptism, good. Good. Not being born of water and the Spirit. Okay, so what is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I can tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. My brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Oh, man. So this is such a, a rich uh, passage of Scripture. Uh, there's so many allusions. It would take me an hour and a half to draw them all out. And I, I've actually kind of all this week, I was like, where am I going to begin with this? Because there's so much going on here, so many layers. Uh, so I thought maybe I would begin with the obvious. Okay, so... I will begin with verse 16. This is the one we mostly know. We see at the football stadiums. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him may not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, that's like the perfect encapsulation of the gospel, is it not? Uh, I was having a uh, conversation with someone not too many weeks ago, Pastor Kyle, who's with our newcomers right now, he was actually in the room and, and uh, was not a member of the church. And I, and I asked this person, I said, why don't you tell me what your gospel is? Like, what in your own words is the 
good news of Jesus. Tell me. And, and he quoted verse 16 here. He says, you know, for God so loved the world. And I thought, that well, good answer. I was getting ready to move on. And, and then this person said, but first there's the wrath. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, before you get to the love, you first got to deal with the vengeance and the wrath of God. And I, and I sat there for a moment, and then I realized that this response of his is a, yet another manifestation of what really is a kind of popular way to understand the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, some of you may have been there a few weeks ago, but on Good Friday, I preached a very uh, brief homily. But I remember in my homily, I quoted one of my favorite teachers, and, and he said this. He says, there's a popular theology, especially in certain non-Catholic traditions, these Protestant traditions, that try to uh, summarize what the death of Jesus means. And he says, here's how we understand it. It's very popular to understand it this way. That God sent his son into the world to save the world from God. Think about that. God sent his son into the world to save the world from God. There's a lot of people who believe that this is what our theology is about. In other words, that, uh, okay, so God creates the world and um, we were sinners and we were uh, doing wicked things and God's fury was just building up like a volcano more and more and more and he wanted to annihilate us. But just in the nick of time, God sent his son, his only son, his innocent son, and then poured out all of his fury, took out all of his anger on his son, almost kind of like a form of divine child abuse. And he, he sent his son through all of this, and then God's fury was appeased, it was satisfied, God the Father felt better, and now he loves us. And this is actually a, a popular misunderstanding of what we believe because in the Bible nothing could be farther from the truth and we miss this when you search the scriptures the God of the Bible willingly let me say that again willingly laid down his life for us I mean, this is a promise that he made even to the Old Testament prophets when Israel over and over again kept sinning and sinning and sinning. They were called to do, to bear witness to God. They kept failing. And then finally, God says, I will intervene. I will intervene. I mean, Jesus even said to his disciples in, in John's gospel, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down, Jesus says, freely, out of love. It was not out of fury. The Christian message is not that Jesus was sent to save us from God. It is that Jesus bore witness to the utter self-giving love of God. God poured himself out into the world, even to the point of get death. And so when we look at the cross, the cross is not a sign that the Father punished the Son and then now his wrath is satisfied or he feels better now. No, this is the ultimate sign of God's supreme act of pouring himself out for the world, even to the point of death. I mean, God so loved the world. I mean, we hear that all the time, but it's so important to just brand that into our minds. God so loved the world. Uh, some of you have actually said that uh, you think the most interesting verse here is not verse 16. You think it's verse 17, and I like this. You know, you, some of you have said that I think the most interesting verse is uh, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And again, 
There it is again, over and over. We find the God of Jesus to be a God who wants to save. He's a God who wills all come to repentance. He wants to pour out life for all. So God so loved the world. He did not send the Son to condemn. He sent the Son to save. That is where our testimony, our theology as Christians must begin. There. With God's love, with God's willingness to save and not to condemn. All right. So that may be obvious for most of us. What may not be so obvious for some of us as we think about chapter 3 in John's gospel is who Nicodemus is. Now, what I mean by that is that I've heard a lot of uh, evangelical preachers or evangelists, very popular evangelists, what they will do is that they will read uh, passages from uh, verses from John chapter 3 and uh, they'll pull out verse 16 or verse 17 in an attempt to preach to non-believers. You know, you, God so loved the world and, and they preach to those who do not believe to bring them to a kind of life of belief and, and that is fine. But what we often miss is that all of these words that Jesus is speaking, he's speaking to a man named Nicodemus who is a believer. He believes. As a matter of fact, you can kind of wrestle with what's going on here. Nicodemus seems to have an indirect belief in even who Jesus is. So Jesus is not preaching here to a non-believer. He's actually speaking all these words about new birth and God still loved the world to someone who does believe. John says that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And he is a leader of the Jews. Nicodemus would have enjoyed the prestige, the status and notoriety of being a leader of his community. He's someone who could have instructed people on the ways of Torah, the law. Nicodemus is someone who loved the God of Israel. He loved him. Now think about this. And yet it is to this man, a religious man, a lover of the Scriptures to whom Jesus said, you must be born again. Or you must be born from above, from God. Same thing. So if we're really going to take this story seriously, you know who Jesus is really kind of speaking to? He's, he's kind of speaking to us. I mean, we're the religious people, especially me. I'm, I'm a leader. I'm the scholar among us. He's talking to us. We're the people to whom Jesus would be saying, you must be born from above, or you must be born again. When you think of that, that, that kind of turns things a little bit to see it a little bit differently. So uh, what does it mean to be born from above? Uh, what is Jesus getting at? What is this born again kind of language? Uh, okay, let's think about this for just a few minutes. Um, the common understanding of to be born from above or to be born again, maybe you know this, it's, it's like, okay, so you say a prayer, you invite Jesus into your heart, you believe that He is raised from the dead and now you get to go to heaven when you die. You are in that moment born again. Well, yeah. I mean, that's true. But what Jesus is talking about here is so much richer and it is so much more profound than just saying this prayer and believing in Jesus. I mean... What is he getting at? Okay, let's think a little bit about birth. 
um, your natural birth. Okay, so all of us at some point in our lives, we were carried in our mother's womb. And that was a great place. It was a comfortable place. You had everything you needed. It was great. You were happy. Then all of a sudden, you burst forth into this world. And it was a world so radically different from the world that you were experiencing in utero that you could not even conceive of what was on the outside of that womb. So there was not even any continuity between the world as you experienced it in the womb and the world outside of it as you have experienced it. Does that make sense? So, so there was a radical uh, discontinuity between life in the womb and life here in the real world. And so Jesus is insinuating the very same kind of phenomenon to Nicodemus, this religious believer. He's saying, no, the world that I'm talking about is so much different than what you can comprehend. Uh, Jesus uses this language, that which is of the flesh is of the flesh, that which is of the spirit is of the spirit. Many times we hear that and we think what Jesus means is that anything that has to do with the body or material stuff is, ooh, ooh, no, we, we, no, we, he, he was, he's just rejecting that. And what really matters is our spiritual life and what goes on inside. No, 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 no. When Jesus is talking about this fleshly reality and then this spiritual spirit reality, he's talking about two different worlds. There are two different dimensions. One world, the world that he calls the flesh, is like being in the womb. But the other world that he calls the world of spirit, this is like being radically in an entirely different world. So when Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you must be born again, he's talking about a radically different existence that has nothing to do with a world kind of as Nicodemus has known it, okay? So think about now uh, other parts of natural birth. It's not just a radical discontinuity. There's other things. When you were born, when I was born, you bore your parents' resemblance. You have their DNA. Their imprint is on you. You think like them in many ways. You grew up. Uh, some of you, even now, you, you will say things that remind you of your parents. That Your parents are in you. And it's not just your parents. It's all the people that you have ever lived with or communed with in your life. Your school friends, so many of these people, they have influenced you. Like when you're in high school, the concerns of your friends all of a sudden become your concerns. Like now there's a popular watch or necklace, and now my daughter's like, I must have this now. It wasn't a concern of her before, but just by being in the environment, am I making sense? Just by being in the environment, we have all inherited things in our environment from other people, and this, these things have shaped us in many ways. But what Jesus is talking about by being born again or being born from above is breaking free from all of this inherited reality, the things that are in us, so that God might do something radically new in us so that we can experience God's reality, God's world in this world. So that's what he's talking about. In other words... When Jesus says to Nicodemus, be born again, he is saying, you, Nicodemus, have got to let God's life, kind of like God's DNA, 
God's imprint to just grow inside of you to such an extent that what will come out is that your entire world will be radically transformed and you will be as if you left a womb into a radically new world. Is that making sense? I know it's deep, but I'm getting ready to go deeper. And I promised you that I wasn't going to go deeper in these series, but I can't help it. All right, so, so, okay. At the risk of bogging this sermon down, I just want to say one more thing real quick before I, I move on, is that the New Testament actually teaches something that we don't really talk about, but it's there. And I don't hear a lot of sermons on this, but it's there. The New Testament teaches something that we theologians call divinization. Can you say that word with me? Divinization. Or divinityization. Divineization. Or we might say Christification. There's another word. Being Christified. The New Testament actually teaches that God truly wants all of us to become like God. To become Christified. To the point where in our lives, we begin to desire what God desires. Where you begin to see the world the way God sees the world. Where you begin to think like God thinks. Where you begin to love like God loves when you begin to just do everything the way God wants to do it. You, it teaches this, you are to become divinized to the point where you no longer understand who you are apart from who God is. You think about one of the things that St. Paul said in the New Testament in his letter to Galatians. It's a great verse. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, It is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. You see what he's doing there? Whatever I was in me, Paul is saying, how I understood myself now, I do not know myself apart from who Jesus is. That's what it means to be Christified. That's new birth language. And so when Jesus is telling Nicodemus, You must be born again. When he's talking to the religious people to be born from above, he's talking about such a radical transformation of ourselves that we don't even know who we are anymore so that we're in this process, this event of becoming the way God is. We are imitating God. That's what we mean by divinization, Christification. That's that's what new birth means. Now see, the thing is is that I can say a prayer that I believe in Jesus. I can do that. But I can still do that without being changed. You see, the world of the flesh that Jesus is talking about, these kinds of fleshly concerns, I mean, what are we concerned about in our lives? Well, most of us walk through life worried about status and wealth and privilege and honor and power. But to be Christified is to be born into a whole new world where our concerns are God's concerns. And I can say a prayer that I believe in Jesus and still be fixated on status and wealth and privilege and power. It's one thing to be a believer in Jesus to say, I believe. But what the New Testament would ask us is, are you becoming like Jesus? 
Are you being Christified in your life? Okay. There were at least two things that I think stood in the way of Nicodemus experiencing this new birth. This radical entrance into a whole new reality. I think there were two things that stood in Nicodemus' way. And I'll share these with you real quick. Here's the first thing. I think the first thing that stood in Nicodemus' way from this new birth, this being born from above, was his arrogant certainty that he knew what God was and who God was. I think it was his certitude. When I say certitude, I mean his absolute certainty. I know what God wants. I understand the Scriptures. I know it was his certainty that stunted this new birth experience. I mean, think about, if you go back and read the story, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. First of all, he comes as the expert in this air of expertise. And he says to Jesus, we know who you are. We know you must be of God. We know nobody can do the things that you do unless they be born from God. We know. And then if you notice, by the middle of the conversation, Nicodemus, all of a sudden, he is flummoxed. He is dumbfounded. And he finds himself saying, what are you talking about? How can these things be? How can someone be born again? How can someone go back into the mother's womb? And he's totally dumbfounded. And then Jesus says to Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand what I'm talking about. What Jesus is doing is he's saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you've got a great knowledge of the Bible. You've got a great knowledge of the traditions of Israel. You know a lot. But all of your knowledge about God and the ways of God is nothing more than like dipping a teaspoon in the ocean and then saying, I got all the ocean. And that's why Jesus says, Nicodemus, you don't know. The Spirit of God is like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it's going. And so it is with the Spirit of God. You cannot control it, Nicodemus. So let go of your arrogant certitude. Let me ask you this. Is is your God, the God that you believe in, is your God free to be God in ways that will surprise you? Or have you limited God to your own opinion and to your own understanding of what God is or can be? Because when we limit God to our own assumptions and our own opinions, that's a teaspoon in the ocean of who God is. That's certitude. And what prevented Nicodemus from being born again is that he wanted to control God. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, no, you can't. You got to be open for God to do things to you in ways that will surprise you. And remember, Nicodemus, God is bigger than your creed. He's bigger than your Bible. He is bigger than your religion. But is your God free to be God in ways that will surprise you? That's the first thing that I think prevented Nicodemus from becoming born again. He had certitude. Boy, I just know. No, he didn't. Just a teaspoon. Here's the second thing that I think stood in the way of Nicodemus' new birth, and it's this. It is that Nicodemus wanted to be a follower of Jesus at night. 
He wanted to be a follower of Jesus at night. You know, we can kind of gloss over that language that I pointed out to you. He came to Jesus at night. Huge, huge uh, point in John's gospel. If you read John's gospel, John is always kind of casting this idea that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Those who come to me come into the light. But then there are those who are in the dark. They're the ones who don't want to come to me. Nicodemus then, when, he, when John says he came to the Lord at night... What John is saying is that Nicodemus is coming in an air of a kind of spiritual darkness. And what John is saying is that Nicodemus did not want to come out into the light through a public confession of who Jesus was and is. He did not want to go public. He wanted to profess Jesus at night. You know, Kyle and I were actually thinking about this. Like, why, why would Nicodemus not want to come out into the light publicly in his belief in Jesus? And I bet your guess is as good as ours. I think it's because Nicodemus was afraid that if he came out into the light, he would lose his status. He would lose his privileges. He would use his honor. But see, what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, Nicodemus, you can't follow me at night. You can't privatize me. You can't be a secret admirer of mine. You've got to come out into the light. Um, the language, you must be born again of water and the Spirit. I asked, what does that refer to? You were right. The church has always understood that to be baptism. Now think about baptism. I think somebody was baptized here a couple of weeks ago when I was out on, out on that Sunday. Baptism is always, always a public act. Someone comes to the font and they declare publicly in front of you that they are going to follow Jesus. Or if you were an infant, your parents said, we're going to raise this child to follow Jesus. There's no such thing as a private baptism. Jesus actually said in Matthew and I think in Luke, whoever confesses me in public, I will confess before my Father in heaven. You can't be a Christian by night. So here, here, here are the questions. Are you a night follower of Jesus? And what I mean by that is, are you someone who is open and public about your faith in the boardroom? When you're with your coworkers, do they know that you're a follower of Jesus and that there are some things that you will do and will not do? Are you a Christian in the classroom? That's a hard one. Are you a Christian in front of your student peers? Or are you afraid that if you come out as a Christian that you might lose your friends? Are you a Christian in public follower of Jesus even in your house? Sometimes even in your own home. You've got to be public about your faith. You cannot follow Jesus at night. You can't be a secret admirer. You've got to come out. Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you got to come into the light. And I don't know if Nicodemus did this or not, but I will tell you this. If we, if we as the followers of Jesus, if you can do, if we can both do two things, if we can just let go of having to be right about God with all of our certitudes and thinking who we believe God is, if we can just let that go, and if we can just make a, a decision to commit ourselves that I'm going to go public I'm not going to be a night Christian. I will tell you, I will tell you, your life is going to change. 
Something is going to happen inside of you. God will do something in you that you can't believe. You will come alive in a way that you've never come alive before if you are willing to go public. And if you're willing to just be open to God doing things in your life that might actually surprise you. Now, I will say this, is that none of us can just make ourselves be born again. I can't give you a prescription that says, hey, work on these 10 things and you'll be born again. Why? Because Jesus says you can only be born from above, which means only God can do it. Only God can do this. But I can tell you this. You cannot make yourself be born again, but you can desire it. You can want it. You can want God to do something new in your life. What I'm saying is, we are the believers. Please do not settle for mediocrity. Don't be half born again. Desire everything God wants for you. And let God have God's way in your life. Stop trying to be certain and arrogant and come out. Be public. God will transform you. Be born again. Be born again and again and again and again. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we are the kinds of people who we want to know. We, we want to be certain. We want the right theology. We want the right understanding of the Bible. We want the right position in your church. But help us understand that you are so much greater than anything that we can comprehend. And I pray, Lord, that, that we as your people will not be night followers of Jesus, that we will be public that we will let the name of Jesus roll off our tongues if necessary, naturally, without being afraid or embarrassed or fearful that we might lose something like Nicodemus was afraid of, his status, his privileges, his prestige, whatever. Help us be unashamed so that in that moment when we desire something more from You, something will happen to us and we will come alive and it will be like going into a brand new world. Your world. And it's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. The audiovisual production team is looking for assistance. We need anybody who is willing to learn basic operation of lighting, sound, camera, and computer. If you're interested in getting involved, please email audiovisual at harrisonchurch.org. We have positions for folks of any skill level, and we hope to hear from you. As always, you can find the latest Harrison happenings online at harrisonchurch.org or on our Facebook page. Have a great week.